forever. Dog. Guys, God Friended Me is a new show on CBS. It starts at the end of September, but starting on August 31st, you can watch it at CBS.com. You can watch the pilot at CBS.com. You can watch it. I, I think they're also putting it on Facebook and YouTube and all over the place. We have the creators, Steve Lillian and Brian Winbrandt here today, along with Allison Bennett, who is a terrific and very funny writer and human. Uh, she was on all of the seasons of You're the Worst. She's currently on Single Parents, which is coming out soon. Before all of that, we talk witches with Winnie Holtzman, whom you may know as the creator of My So-Called Life. She is also the writer of the book for the musical Wicked. And so we talk mostly about that. Winnie is terrific. We did a uh, long interview with her some years ago that's worth uh, looking up. It was a really fun panel. And we talked a lot about my so-called life, which I can't get enough of. And I also can't get enough of Winnie Holtzman. Enjoy this. We're talking to Winnie Holtzman on the phone. Winnie is an old pal. Thank you for returning to the show and chatting with us. Of course. Anytime. Uh, we didn't get to talk when, we, when you were on the podcast um, a couple of years ago about your work on the musical Wicked, which you wrote the book for. Yes, I did. I wrote the, the uh, libretto, or the book, as mm-hmm. you we called it, um, not the novel that right. we adapted from Gregory Maguire. So I'm curious to hear about, first of all, how you even got involved. Why you? Why were you the right person to tackle adapting this novel for a musical? Well, I got involved in a very specific way. Um, Stephen Schwartz, um, who, you know, is an incredible um, American artist, mm-hmm. um, who's written a lot of musicals, and they're all pretty wonderful, um, and he's an amazing songwriter. He he actually our paths had crossed when I was um, when I was young and in grad school. I was um, studying musical theater writing at the place um, that I think is probably the only place in the world where you can actually get an MFA in musical theater writing. I may be wrong, but it's um, NYU musical theater program, uh-huh. uh, and it's uh, part of Tisch School of the Arts. Anyway, he. I was there, and uh, he walked in to speak to the students one day, and we had a little bit of an encounter. But the real, the real truth of our 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 connection is multi, <laughs> multi. Um, we also both at one point had um, his one of his, his agent and mentor was Shirley Burt, the late uh, beautiful woman, Shirley Bernstein, who was Leonard Bernstein's sister. And he he was, she was Stephen's um, agent and, and, and close, close friend. And at one point she was actually my agent. (laughs) So what I'm trying to say is that um, I think Stephen was aware of me (laughs) and um, we didn't really know each other, but when he got, um, he pushed uh, Universal, uh, who had the right. This is a long story, so forgive me. Everyone. No, I'm, it's it's so interesting. <laughs> well, Universal, if you cut if you cut now from from me in grad school to many years later, I'm out here in Hollywood, and um, 
Universal apparently had the rights mm-hmm. to the novel Wicked and had even begun a non-musical, you know, completely non-musical film adaptation, oh, really? which I guess it stalled. And it was it, at this moment in time that Stephen Schwartz read the book and uh, some, a friend of his gave him the book and he had this epiphany that it needed to be, that it should be a Broadway show and that he very much wanted to write this show. And he pushed um, Mark Platt, who was then the, who was then the head of Universal Studios to, to abandon the idea for making it into a non-musical film and, and to allow him to attempt to turn it into a Broadway show. And that's when um, they, they, Universal agreed. Mark had actually played, he had actually performed in uh, Pippin, <laughs> I think it was, when he was in high school. He was a huge Stephen Schwartz fan. So oh my gosh. he, it, you know, you could say like the stars aligned. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't like to say that out loud that much, but in this case, <laughs> It really, really, it really was very um, faded in in a, in a lot of ways. Um, I think I had actually had um, a psychic realization, uh, believe it or not, before it happened that um, this was going to happen to me, because um, uh, for reasons that I won't go into. But um, <laughs> Stephen eventually called me and just said. Um, I, I think I want to do this with you. We didn't really know each other well. We'd had one lunch. Uh, mm-hmm. Someone at me who knew us both had put us together for a lunch. And we had, you know, we hit it off. We're both, you know, about a year into writing Wicked, we found out we were both from almost the same town in Long Island. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yes, this was, this was fated to be. That's really funny. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, yeah. But I think, and, and I'm sure, you know, as you know, as so many of us who work in this industry know, is there is that sort of uh, alchemy that it's a, a certain group of people coming together to make a particular project can really make it a special thing and feel like it is meant to happen. Yeah, and that's not to say that, you know, there were plenty of times while we were working on it that things seemed rocky, not between us, mm-hmm. but just the thing of it and um, there were there were times when it, it felt very far away. It's not like we went, oh, you know, this is a piece of cake. <laughs> um, but um, but the, but his, his our connection, uh, Stevens and mine, and then bringing Joe in, Joe Mantello, mm-hmm. just like the right person at the right time in his career, and the two young women, um, Dina and Kristen, yeah. again, just. There was a there was a feeling amongst us like we all had this feeling that we all really really wanted to do this together, um, and I can, I think that's a good feeling to have when you're working on something. Yeah, absolutely. No matter how huge of an endeavor it may seem, what was your did were you aware of the novel before have starting these conversations? Well, that was the psychic part, which is that <laughs> I have a, a very um, a memory that's very close to my heart, which is I'm in New York. I mean, I live in LA and I have for, you know, for almost 30 years, mm-hmm. but I was in New York city, you know, as I, as I want to do. And I was, I wandered into a bookstore called Shakespeare and company. I'm sure it's not there anymore on the upper West side. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things where you go, you fall into a bookstore days and you're really, 
you're just really caught up in, you're just wandering like a little ghost, those, those, you know, cubicles in the bookstore and those, those little byways. Yep. I looked up and I saw that book. This is, this is in the nineties that this was happening. And the book was probably, had probably been published pretty recently, but not right away. I mean, in other words, it's probably been published for a while. I was, I was staring at it at the cover of the book. Um, because the cover is very striking. It's this green woman who, you know, is wearing that black hat and you can, you can't see much of her face. It's very evocative. And I turned it over, you know, I flipped the book over and I read, I started to read the crazy of what the book was about and uh, the, his incredible, you know, just genius premise, which Mm -hmm. is that you're, he's going to now tell the story of of what real of what happened in Oz from the Wicked Witch's point of view, mm-hmm. and that actually we don't know the full story. Now that just gave me it just gave me chills just now, just saying that in my kitchen. And I really, really something in me just connected to that idea so big. It is a genius idea, and I bought the book, and I did something I never do, which is I. I really never do this. And I called my agent, my film agent, because I wasn't smart enough like Stephen Schwartz to realize it should be a music. <laughs> um, I called my film agent and I said, is, is someone uh, optioned this? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, they're doing it at Universal. So I never read the book. Oh, wow. but, what I, but what I did is I put it, you know, she was like, oh, yeah, they've already got a writer on this. Mm-hmm. And so put it on my bookshelf in the little little place where I work and it stared at me you know all the time I would look up and stare at it I felt this odd connection to the cover of that book so when Stephen and I were put together for that lunch we started talking about the book I had never read it so when he finally called me and said, you maybe want to read that book now, because I think I got the rights to do it as a Broadway musical, and I think I'd like to do it with you. I, um, you know, I had a funny, funny feeling like it, you know, like that Blanche Dubois line, uh, no, Stanley, <laughs> Stanley, Stanley's line where he said we had this date from the beginning, like, <laughs> went back to that moment where I saw it in the bookstore on the Upper West Side, and I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, like I was shocked, but I wasn't surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, that's so great. What do you think, other than was, the unbelievable concept? I mean, because it really is—it's a great hook, right? Um, oh no, it was like he used to. We used to look at each other and go, "Wow, this is ours to fuck up," because <laughs> it was such. I mean, Gregory's that 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 notion that that concept is 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 brilliant. Mm-hmm. Did you have to find a way in that was particular to you? Did you have to sort of get oh, witchy yeah. with it? What? Did you have to get witchy with it? Did you have to find your inner witch? Without a question. I mean, I'm I'm already almost there. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a person. I, I, I've had my share of psychic experiences, and I do feel witchy a lot of the time. I love it. Um, so it wasn't like I was... It wasn't like I, I, the way I had to find my way into it is um, I don't know if you've read the novel, but the novel is just not what we ended up. 
you know, putting on stage, but we were inspired by the novel and we stole from the novel, but we didn't, I think I knew from the beginning of reading, of reading the novel that it wasn't going to be like, we just took the plot of the novel and we just musicalized that because that's not what we did. Mm-hmm. And it had to do mainly with our personalities. I mean, Stephen and I saw, we saw a show, um, we were sort of seeing the same show and it wasn't exactly the novel as it lays out, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. So we knew we were going to have to bring ourselves and figure, and it was really just a matter of, you know, what, what did we want to, what did we want what were we drawn to? Um, I mean, the biggest thing that became our linchpin that became our, our guiding star, you could say, was Gregory's uh, another genius idea from Gregory Maguire that, you know, he created in the novel that um, that the two witches, uh, Glinda, the Witch of the North and the Wicked Witch of the West, had been college roommates. Now that is, you know, there's just no other word for that but genius. Mm-hmm. And when whenever Stephen and I just thought that that was the most amazing idea and that was really our, our lodestar in a lot of ways. Like we knew we were going to use that. And in a funny way, we built the show around that, didn't we? I mean, yeah, their I... friendship. Um, that's not, that's not the, um, their friendship is not front and center in the novel. Let me put it that way. Yeah, no, it's, and, and it, you've made it the driving, you and Steven made it the driving force, which really is so, I mean, as much as, the uh, Maguire's novel humanizes these characters. I think you 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 two took it even further. Yeah, we and you know it's. I mean, if you're going to, we had the we had the rights. You know, we we were we were blessed. We had the rights to adapt it, and so we knew we were going to adapt it because we we were picturing. A very, uh, I think the ways in which we borrowed from him the most. Um, was of course his his premise, his incredible premise, the brilliant idea of making them college roommates, and then the fact that the novel itself is so political and talks about mm-hmm. and talks about power in very specific ways and um, and corruption, and yeah. that's you know that's that's a big part of our show. Yeah, absolutely. That was and and that's an interesting thing, you know, considering. You and Stephen and your your respective backgrounds and in theater and TV and film, you know, power is something that especially women often have to struggle with in this industry. Uh, was that yeah. something you were able to uh, work into the writing? Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, it, you know. The questions, one of the questions raised in the show is that what is it, what is true power? Mm-hmm. So is it being popular? Is it being loved, you know, looked up to, uh, feared? Or is it, you know, is it, is it something that comes from within? Is it standing in truth? I mean, what is, what is power? And I think that's a very important question. Yeah. And it's, it's in question for for all of us, for men and women, but certainly women <clears throat> who've been, you know, traditionally disempowered, you know, throughout history, throughout time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that's. I mean, the fact the fact that it's two young women who eventually who eventually take down 
um, a government. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's really what, what Wicked is about. <laughs> um, I realize that there are people that go there and, 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 don't, and don't see it that way. Uh, but what's interesting about our show is that now, now with this um, tragic um, change that's happened in our country, mm-hmm. power shift, um, we find that our show is is um, there's sort I of think, a, there's I, sort of a new relevance to it. Correct, and you know we felt it was always thus, mm-hmm. but but uh, but 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 tragically, um, the, you know things have almost shifted so that it's become more noticeable. Yeah, um, you know when we when we were first writing the show. Um, you know, nine eleven happened, and we were led into a what I believed was a a, a false and trumped up, uh, no pun intended, war, and um, you know, a, a, a tragic war. Mm-hmm. And um, so there was always plenty to write about, but now things have actually taken a turn where, um, you know, because our show is is international, we have many productions playing around the world, and and. And not just a, you know, not just on Broadway. And people are responding to the show and in more than ever. Yeah. Um, if I could say that. So. No, I'm sure. I'm sure that's the case. And in, and it has to it has to do with the story of of two young women two young women finding in different ways in different ways that are that are true to them stepping into their own power, mm-hmm. which the most important thing we can all do right now, uh, honestly. I think, I think that's a great message and, and yet another reason for folks to go and see the show if they haven't or see it again, honestly, yeah, well, b- because you know, it's reframed. You, I didn't mean to make it into a commercial, but, no, but if you it's true. see it again, you may see it differently than Absolutely. you saw it you know, 10 years ago or so. Yeah, yeah. Um, we do need to wrap up. I feel like we could talk about this for hours and hours. It's absolutely fascinating to me. Um, but let me ask you before we do, who are some of your favorite pop culture witches? Bill Book and Candle. Oh, good one. That's <laughs> do you a great know Bill Book and Candle? Of course. The, it's one of the best witches ever, ever, ever. Did you see this as a kid? I saw it as a kid. Um, I thought it was the sexiest, most romantic movie <laughs> I'd ever seen. I probably saw it when I was 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. But... I watch it every so often, and it doesn't disappoint. That movie is awesome. Yes, I agree. Folks should check that out if they haven't seen it. It's really it's great performances. It looks good. It's well written. Yeah, all about New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a a glimpse of that time too. It's really fun. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, And what are you working on these days? Is there anything you can tell us about? Uh, well, the, I'm working on the movie of Wicked. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! I didn't know that. Oh uh, yeah, and um, and I'm uh, there's um, there's kind of a surprise in my life, but I can't talk about it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's fair. We'll we'll look for so, it in the future. Um, yeah, something I've been on for years that it's, oh cool, it's, it's happening. So we'll oh, see. that's great. I assume it's a my so-called life uh, reboot, right? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I know you don't want to hear about it. No, that's not. I'm not sure that's up my alley. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, Winnie, thank you so much for chatting. I hope to talk again soon. Great to talk to you, Ben. Take care. <laughs>
Uh, now is the time for you to call up your local comic book shop and pre-order the only thing I care about, my new Vertigo comic called Hex Wives. It's about witches, and it's about gender politics. Does that sound fun? Probably not, but it is. The artist is amazing. The colorist is amazing. The editors are unbelievable. Uh, I'm just hanging on for dear life and hoping that people buy this so I can tell dozens and dozens of stories in this world. So please call up your local comic book shop. If you don't know where it is, go to comicshoplocator.com, put in your zip code, and uh, order that comic, Hexwives. It comes out on Halloween. You just tell them you want it. They'll hold a copy for you, and then you go to the store and buy it. It's easy. It's like $4. And I think you're going to like it. I do. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Welcome to all of you. What I'm going to do <clears throat> is have you go around and say your name on the microphone and tell us somewhere we might have seen your name on television Allison, starting with you. Um, Allison Bennett, uh, you're the worst. LA to Vegas, coming up, single parents. Brian Winbrandt, uh, Alcatraz, uh, Gotham, and soon to be God friended me. <laughs> Stephen Lillian, also Gotham and Alcatraz, and God friended me. Um, let's get this out of the way because I also work with a writing partner and we are sick of telling the story. So I'm not going to ask you how you guys started writing together, but I am going to ask you how you do write together. What is your process? There's a lot of screaming, a lot of yelling. Uh, no, I mean, our process is usually we sit down and we break a story together. And uh, usually we'll divide it up. You know, he'll take the front half or back half and, and vice versa. And then we'll write our first draft as quickly as possible because we all know that's garbage. And then we'll put it together, and then the real writing is the rewriting, mm -hmm. and that's where we sit down really together and do the and do the hard work. You do, and what does and like let's get into it. What does the what does that look like? Are you staring at the same computer well, yeah, screen? So, do you put it up on a so display? We, I think when we start baking an idea, usually one of us will have a, an inspiration mm -hmm. of an idea, and we'll call the other. We'll start to, I mean, depending on the show. I mean, obviously, like with Gotham, for instance, our first episode of the show. We were brought in um, and they were doing the season with uh, Benedict Samuel playing uh, the Mad Hatter. And so they asked us to do this episode. And so we had a direction. So mm -hmm. we were like talking about, oh, what would be a great version of an episode? And um, so with with that type of show, you're sort of given a guidance and the process will start from there. If it's just something we're coming up with, like God friended me, same kind of process, just a different direction where we kind of have free will to go mm -hmm. and do whatever we want. So when you're on staff, sometimes it's sort of dictated in a, in a, in a way. Um, but regardless of the entry point, we'll, you know, start kind of working off of a Google Drive together. And we'll be sharing that together at like the story document phase mm -hmm. where we'll kind of talk about conceptually what the episode is. Then when we get into an outline, which we usually write a very like detailed outline that has, you know, scene work in within it so we know where our entry point within the scene is we know what the scene is excavating for story and we know what our out is and then by then we'll share that we'll both he'll be at home i'll be at my place we'll be writing together we'll be on the phone talking and then when we get to script um you know final draft has not yet mastered the collaborator they gotta get on i it. mean they gotta they get, on. To get on it i don't understand come on guys how, how they can how it doesn't work but um, usually what we'll do is Skype, we'll share the screen and one of us will take the comm 
And, you know, the other one will be screaming at the other going, no, delete that one and, and put this there. And but you don't do that in the same room? Sometimes. I mean, like we have, it's we have families. It's <laughs> No, I mean, you know, it's, it's not surprising. easy always to sure. be, I mean, by, with Skype, you can see the other person. So right. it's still, you know, you're still having like a conversation. Yeah. Um, ideally we would be doing it in the same room, but it, you know, life doesn't always give you that sure. opportunity. Um, and then how many drafts do you generally go through together uh, until you're, you turn it into someone? That depends on the time frame. Yeah. You know, usually at least one, obviously. Uh, we'd like to do more than one, but a lot of times with a network schedule, you yeah. don't have time to do more than one and you just get it into on Gotham, our showrunner, on 5.0, our showrunner. Now that we're the showrunners, we'll, we'll just read it and we'll be like, I hope it's good enough. And we send it into the, you know, our partners right. and get feedback. Um, all right. That answers my question. As long as we're talking about process, um, Allison, left to your own devices. Yeah. Uh, writing for yourself, whether it's a, an original pilot that you've sold or whatever. What does your work day look like? Um, I just had a baby a year ago, so it's changed a little bit. I used to have a more like luxurious process, <laughs> but now it's real down and dirty. Um, left to my devices, I like to get to, I run an office space. Mm -hmm. I like to get there, get stupid email out of the way, nerd out on my whiteboards and stuff like that and <laughs> eat a lot of popcorn, get sad, get happy, you know, and I just, just sit, sit with my, with my draft and go over it over and over and over again. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of the process. I basically just replicate a writer's room, but with myself, which sounds psychotic, but no, it, is the it, way makes, it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, do you do, do you full, talk to the other writers? No. Like the imaginary writers? I mean, I room? wish there was someone else there sometimes, <laughs> but when I'm left to my own devices, but you'll do not. full outlines for I'll yourself. I'll do full outlines for myself. Yeah. Um, and then in the actual scripting, how long can you sit there and do it? Do you work in the morning? Do you work in the afternoon? I mean, I, I'm, I've been on a, a show for most of um, the life of this child. So I'm trying to think about what I used to do versus now. But yeah, I can sit there for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, four or five hours is if I, if I can get four in, then I feel really That's good. A lot. But, um, you know, obviously, if I'm on a crazy deadline, I can really put my butt in the chair. Right. Uh, I think it was like two weekends ago, I had an episode due and a feature rewrite due over the weekend. And I wrote to the point that I got a blood blister on my hand. Oh, it's going away oh now God. for like the first time ever in my life. And I was like, that's cool. I just it's impressive. did that. It's impressive. So yeah, so I, I can sit there for a while. Oh we are God. blue collar, us writers. <laughs> Um, the same question for you guys, like I found the most valuable thing in, or one of the most valuable things in having a writing partner is you're held accountable for your time. Um, has that been the case with you guys? Do you generally, you know, have the, the discipline to sit down and work left to your own devices? Yeah. I mean, you know, the good thing is it's a baton pass. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you feel like I've got something going on, I have two kids, Brian has two dogs, uh, you know, a lot of times we'll be like, Brian will take a pass on something, send it to me, then I'll work on it. So it is really comfortable in the fact that like things are always going forward, even if one of us isn't sitting down and working. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. You can get momentum. Um, all right. That's, that answers all my questions. <laughs> Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Goodbye. Uh, let's talk about the beginnings for each of you. Um I, I don't like to talk too much about breaking in because I think everyone sort of has a different breaking in story and they're kind of not replicable. 
But what I am curious to hear about is the first piece of writing that you got paid for and how that happened. <laughs> well, for, well, for us. Was it as a partnership? First yeah, well, yeah, it was as a partnership. Well, um, we were toiling as assistants for, for many years. We met as assistants at Imagine mm -hmm. Television during like, you know, the Tony Krantz era when they did 24 and things like that. And we, there was a writing team in the office there who uh, is pretty famous, Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. Mm -hmm. And we used to see them, you know, coming and going as they pleased. And it just seemed like a great lifestyle. <laughs> and um, so when we started working together, we were just kind of, you know, we were trying all different types of writing. Mm -hmm. Like we tried a feature, we tried a, uh, a comedy, and we got the attention of an executive at Kelsey Grammer's company. And they had this Nickelodeon half hour pilot called Zen and Buster. That That's right. That's was, real. Uh, <laughs> that was about Kelsey Grammer's two Basenji dogs. And they asked us to like do a take on what like the life of these two dogs would be. Not like, like Kelsey Grammer wasn't a part of the show. It was right. like a family, like a, a well-to-do family in like the Malibu Hills. And we sort of turned it into like this, you know, adventure, you know, half hour, com uh, you know, comedy, animation comedy. And uh, we got paid like, I think like six grand or 10 grand for it. And we thought we were was rich. Was it for the pilot or it was, was it for, for the, the pilot? It was, yeah, a re it, was a, it was a rewrite. It was a rewrite. Okay. And I remember specifically too, because we had a raccoon and his name was David Racuso. <laughs> and he did the slow motion sure. remove of the glasses. And he ate trash. It was a great character. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, 6,000 bucks back then. It was just like, we did it. Yeah. We did it. Crazy. That feels amazing. It's amazing. Right? It's yeah. like the best thing ever. So that was the first thing. Did that, wow. did you guys have agents at the time? Did that help you to agents? start? God, I don't even remember. On your career? Um, I don't remember. I don't remember if we had agents at that time. Um, I was around that time that we got our first okay. agent, but definitely... Don't remember if we did. But certainly the Kelsey Grammer uh, animated dog show did not lead to agents. No, it did not. Uh, no. It's, it's, not, it's not even on our, our IMDb page. <laughs> no. Uh, presumably they never made it. No, they did not. Um, so was it through uh, specs? Was it like, how did you get your agents? Uh, well, we were working on a, on a, on a feature at the time. And mm -hmm. then I would, Brian was an assistant for a movie director and I was working on a TV show, Boomtown, which Graham mm -hmm. Yost did back yeah. on NBC. And he he gave me my first break as a staff writer. Oh wow! And then uh, and then that show, of course, I I'm staff writer. I made it, and then the show got canceled like two months later. Yeah. Uh, but through that experience, I was like, I really feel like we should be doing TV together, not just features. And so we started writing in TV. But I'd gotten an agent on TV through Boomtown, gotcha. and then they met with us on the feature side, and we got a feature agent together. And then once Boomtown went down, we decided to write full time in TV. And so, uh, it's and hard then, to believe there was a time where like TV was the second option, I know. you know, it's like <laughs> yeah, when I, I came out here, it was like writing and TV, what, uh, you know, totally. and then we wanted to be big feature writers and that wasn't going Fail. well. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. we got, and then we got our first show was uh, Kyle XY on ABC family about the but, kid with no belly know, button. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We wrote, but by the way, we wrote a spec, um, boot, uh, not, uh, what was it? A spec? Nip talk. Nip, nip talk. Shield. But, and the shield. shield mm -hmm. Yeah. And lo and behold, we got Kyle XY. So I don't know what that said about our shield, but, um, Listen, you know, it, it was, it meant you could write. Yeah. It yeah. meant people recognize that you could write. Um, okay. Okay. I want to pick up there when we come back, but Allison, what was your background? Were you a like UCB person? I was like hardcore UCB <laughs> in New York. And I think the first time I actually got paid for comedy writing, 
UCB was doing these corporate partnerships. Sure. And I think we were writing sketches for Skinny Cow ice cream. And that was nice. like the first time that I was like, I just got paid yeah. for comedy. I got paid um, to make jokes. That yeah, counts. It was amazing. Um, so that was the first. Um, but that certainly did not set you on your way. <laughs> no, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sitting on a Skinny Cow ice cream fortune <laughs> or, you know, reps or I may have had a rep at that point, but. Uh, um, is that right? Yeah, I had a manager who had seen me in a sketch show it sounds like an all about Eve situation, but it was not. I was a writer on a sketch show, a sketch team, um, one of those mod teams. Mm -hmm. And one of the actresses fell ill and I had to step in last minute. And this manager had kind of been coming to our shows because he repped one of the actresses and he knew I was a writer. And he was like, oh, she can write and she can act, I guess. Um, I'll sign her. And then he's the one who introduced me to my agent, who I'm still with at oh, wow. UTA. And yeah. Um, so was the idea then that you wanted to write TV? Did you see yourself as a sketch writer? What What was the goal? I always wanted to write sitcoms. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to write half hour comedy. But I had gone to school. Well, I'd gone to school for acting. Mm -hmm. And then I think by like junior year, I had realized <laughs> that writing for television was a job. And I was like, oh, that's way better. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I want to be doing. I was sitting, you know, punching up term papers and, you know, I was like, well, clearly I like this more. Um, but then, yeah, I was still kind of doing some acting stuff in, in the beginning, but okay. now I would probably rather die. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when the idea turned to just writing, yeah. um, what were the early breaks what was what was sort of the first stuff that you were churning out and sort of making your way in i guess getting on a house sketch team at ucb was mm -hmm. pretty big just in terms of being able to you know turn out page count learn how to get notes sure. and go through that entire process produce a show every month and then when i was kicking around new york i started getting hired to do a lot of punch-up rooms and stuff like that on viacom shows and um Meredith Vieira's daytime pilot. I, I did some joke writing for that. And, really? you know, I was, just, you know, doing the whole New York scene. And then I ended up working on this sketch show for MTV called Hey Girl that Julie Klausner uh, mm -hmm. ran and had like the best staff of, of women. And we were sitting there writing these deeper feminist sketches. Oh, and <laughs> I don't think half the episodes aired. <laughs> like it was not a thing, but um, I moved to LA shortly after that. And so that's the thing that sort of- Yeah, that was, was my first like Momentum staff. got behind you yeah. from all those things. I'm curious about, and, and I don't know if you guys have done this too, any of this punch-up work. And I yeah. get asked about it a lot. Um, I know the the times I've been asked to be do punch up is always just like you know a guy who has a pilot. Right. Is that just how it works? I think it's mostly through word of mouth or like yeah. the the studios will put people together sometimes, I think. But yeah. Um so that's what it was in yeah, New York. Yeah, you put York your for six him. funniest friends. Or, you know, these were companies that were just looking for young female voices mm -hmm. at the time. Oh, interesting. I know in like features they have like they're they're starting to bring rooms together with writers. Yeah. In drama, there's not really that punch up. You know, mentality. No. Sad you punches. <laughs> yeah. Punch or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We right. left our punches on Zen and Buster. <laughs> yeah. Stop there. Exactly. The, it, listen, there's always one that got away. No, yeah. I know. I know. Um, let's talk about <clears throat> Kyle XY. Uh, was this a writer? They had a writer's room? Yeah. So this was your first real room experience. You had done Boomtown. Correct. Um, and Graham knows how to run a room for sure. But you weren't there very long. Yeah, well, I was a writer's assistant the first season. Oh, you were? Yeah. Okay, and so you had been there. Yeah, and it was, I mean, Graham Yost is, not only is he an incredible writer, but he's just like salt of the earth. I mean, yeah. he's such a terrific person. So to work for him for a year and a half was like eye-opening. It was like going to college, really, on TV writing. 
Um, but when we got into Kyle XY, you know, it was a little cable show about a kid with no belly button. And so no one really didn't really get much buzz at first. And then it, like it took off. We, we were on it for three years. But the staff was absolutely incredible. Uh, Julie Pleck, who created Vampire oh, wow. Diaries and the originals. Eric Tuckman, who just won an Emmy on uh, Handmaid's Tale. Liz Tiglar, Chris Hollier, who's running Roswell right now. Brian Holdman, yeah, who did Brian seven Holdman. seasons of... Um, so it, it's like the, we look back and see that staff. Frank Spotnitz helped out first season from oh, really? X-Files. And we're like, I can't believe all these people were on Kyle XY. It's totally insane. Well, it's insane. probably why the show went three seasons. Yeah, and no, it was I literally know. the drama about nothing. It was the Seinfeld of family dramas. Each episode <laughs> was it really, was about nothing. I mean, you really Is that just, right? I've never seen it. No, it was literally like we had to reinvent the show every year because the first season... You know, it was about a kid who just sort of shows up without a belly button and it's that standard kind of where did he come from? There's a mythology of like you know, someone following him. It had like a very genre element. And then the second season, we went a little bit away from that. We brought on Jamie Alexander that year, who's on Blindspot, and she was the female version of Kyle. So she was Jesse XX. But it was really like a show that like tonally had a lot of different places to go. So finding it was hard and we kind of each season we're, we're figuring out new ways to generate story from this really good high concept, but not a great story generator episodically. Mm -hmm. And so we leaned into the family drama and, you know, we found our way through the show, but it was because of such a strong staff and it, we're still close with everyone from that show. That's great. Um, so this was a strong staff with uh, right. A lot of the writers had a lot of experience too. Well, we were we were all young at the time, right? So like Julie had never even written an episode she had of been television. An assistant, right? She had she had been working with you know like Wes Craven, and yeah. she had worked with. Um, she was Kevin actually Williamson. At, yeah, she was actually at Bender Spink at the time, and she found the script. As an executive. Um, as an executive. Right. And then she came on and then she started writing. She met us. We met yeah. her at our interview and that she was the one who That's hired crazy. us. Yeah. Um, crazy. But like Liz had just come off of one show. Okay. Brian Holdman had been had never. We were all baby yeah, writers Chris together. Holly, there was his first show. Eric Tuckman had had done a lot of TV and uh, but not in that space. I mean, mm -hmm. he was on the early edition and Dr. Quinn. Um, so we've been around for a while. But like, again, just terrific writers, terrific people. Yeah. You yeah. know, we lucked out on that experience because you really, we still keep in touch with everyone. I mean, especially, you know, running a show a, now, it's like to be able to call Julie mm -hmm. who's been through it and just be like, can we pick your brain and yeah. like go to dinner? It's like, it's invaluable. You Absolutely. Know? So, so the thing I'm curious about is, you know, you have these writers who I guess didn't have a lot of experience mm -hmm. and who was the showrunner? Eric was show running okay. the show and Julie was the number two. And then they kind of kind of co-show ran in the later years okay. together. So what I'm curious about is just how that room worked and what you guys learned from being in that room where it sounds like everyone was sort of figuring things out as they went. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting thing because every room has its own process and mm -hmm. its own culture. And that room, I mean, it's so long ago. I'm being I, totally honest. I don't remember exactly how we did it. I, I don't. I like literally don't remember if we started with a theme or a story or it was just because it was serialized. We knew where we were going. But you go from a show like that. We created, you know, Alcatraz. That was like a procedural, like a network procedural with a sci-fi mystery. And we had never been in a procedural room. Hmm. And so that was like a totally different type of animal and how we broke stories there. And then you go to CSI New York and Hawaii Five-0. And it's just, you learn something from every show, both good and bad. And everyone's process is just so different. It's it's really hard to say, 
like which one's best. It's just you sure. sort of experience it and move on and you either survive through it or you don't. Yeah. I mean, and I guess this is the thing I'm curious about now that you're running your own show. What have you taken from your past experiences that you're using to do this? Well, I would say most importantly, be kind, mm-hmm. you know, treat people well. Everyone's trying to do their best. You know, showrunners have a tendency to want everyone to read their mind and it's just an impossible task. And just taking the ownership on ourselves and knowing that, you know, we have to give our our writers the best chance to to succeed in doing their best work possible and that's hard sometimes but always that's like our true north is just trying to be the most, you know, compassionate showrunners possible while at the same time you know, we're hardest on ourselves. So, you know, trying to find our own process, because even with all of those, those, those processes that we had gone through, I think right now we're still trying to figure out what process as showrunners works best for us. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I want to pick that up in a minute. Um, but Allison, it seems like mm-hmm. once you sort of had a foothold uh, and you, you sort of kicked around on some of these shows, the animated, uh, the awesomes yeah. uh, and idiot sitter and yeah. a couple of these other credits, um, before sort of getting onto that sitcom track. Well, that actually was on You're the Worst for those shows. Oh, those, those concurrent? Were, yeah, those were concurrent. So, because oh, really? You're the Worst room was five months. And mm-hmm. so then I would have breaks. And so I did um, an awesome season in between seasons of You're the Worst. And I did an idiot sitter season. Oh, no kidding. Between, yeah, I'd pick up tiny, you know, um, Tiny rooms yeah. in between a tiny room. So these to me, and and you're the worst. Everyone always wants me to talk about. <laughs> um, but these to me seem like very different tones, very different kinds yeah. of comedy in them. So the thing I'm really curious about is left to your own devices. Yes. Um, or not even that. Like on these shows, how are you getting your sense of humor through? How are you getting your sensibility through? Or is that not the job? I mean, sometimes it's not the job. Sometimes you're, you know, finding what's funny um, to your boss or the story or the characters. But um, I would say that you're the worst is probably the closest to my own sense of humor. Um, And that was like one of the reasons that it was so fun to work on that show for four years. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Uh, I, I tend to be a little raunchier and edgier I don't know what that means but you know I'm so edgy you guys I just cut bangs it's a whole thing (laughs) um but yeah um so tell me about how you're the worst was run okay please so that room was the same five writing entities so there's a set of partners but there were basically five people six people Mm -hmm. um for the first four seasons it was the same group and we yeah and I didn't we, that. yeah, and we became a, a, a family um, on the show. When we talk about family, we always go family after that um, with the character of Lindsay. But yeah, so uh, yeah, we we got super tight, and that was um, a really well run room. I mean, the great thing about cable, in some instances, is that you're writing it and then you're shooting it. Mm-hmm. So there is a little bit of yeah. luxury to like sit oh, there God. with I ideas. I know. That is the good it's, life. Now that I'm in network, I'm yeah. like, I had no idea I like what, what we had. So we would spend at the top of the season a couple of weeks, you know, talking about theme for the season, where we were going with the characters. The first season, we spent a lot of time talking about side characters. Hmm. And I think that's really important because some of the stuff 
that we talked about in those initial conversations about like Paul and Vernon, characters that really only had a handful of lines in the first season. By season four, we had entire episodes where they were the only characters yeah. and we had tons of information on them because we had spent that time. And, you know, I think a lot of story comes out of those initial conversations. It makes it so much easier. So I do think sometimes people are like, oh, it's a little like playwrighty to like sit around and be <laughs> like, let's talk about this person for a while. But I think it makes coming up with story so much easier sure. later down the line. And Stephen, our, our showrunner, yeah. Stephen Falk, um, he definitely knew that. And then that room was about young people in their 20s and 30s. Um, in Los Angeles, and that's who the staff was. Mm -hmm. So every morning we would sit there and we'd go around and we'd say what we did the night before. <laughs> and if it was, yeah, every morning. And if it wasn't good, Stephen would harass us and be like, that's boring. Like, we can't do anything with that. And um, yeah, it was that we spent a lot of time, like I said, the first few weeks. And then we, we were off to, you know, breaking story, pretty much like all shows I've ever been on. And mm -hmm. Uh, Did it feel in the beginning, and I vaguely remember talking to Stephen about this at the time, mm -hmm. that he didn't have a good sense of what episode to episode it would be, and that's where he was really leaning on the writers? Did I it mean, feel like that as a writer? No, I, I never... Uh, Stephen always knew what the mm -hmm. show was, as far as, yeah. we, as far as we were concerned as the writers. If he didn't, he was doing an amazing <laughs> job well, I think he had a vision for the it. show, but filling in terms those of 25 minutes every week Well, is, the, first, the first season, we knew we wanted to subvert all of the mm -hmm. traditional rom-com oh, tropes. Right. So we really had a map for the first because it's like, you know, the first time you're not just fucking and you're going out on a date or, you know, meeting the parents. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of hit all of those. And so that was a great map for the first season. And then the second season, it was like, well, what are we going to do? They're now living together. But we just didn't want to do a story about, oh, you you know, you're right. you're leaving stuff around and it's your towels on the floor. You know, that just wasn't what we were interested in. And then that's when Stephen introduced the idea of doing the clinical uh, mm -hmm. depression episode, uh, not episode, uh, arc. Yeah. yeah. Hey, if you follow me on Instagram, which you should, I'm at B.A. Blacker, you know that I do a lot of cooking and a lot of taking pictures of my food. But even I, a wonderful cook, I wouldn't say chef, I'm a home cook, let's not get carried away. Uh, even I, a wonderful cook, do not have time every day to shop for ingredients and then come home and make a meal of making a meal. So what do I do? I get HelloFresh. It's a meal delivery kit service that shops, plans, delivers step-by-step -step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so I can just cook it, eat it, and enjoy it. Seriously, HelloFresh is like the next best thing to making a meal up myself. Um, because the food is all really fresh, it's all really good, the instructions are easy, and they're really quick to make. It's like the best thing for a weekday meal. Uh, there's something for everyone with HelloFresh's selection. Three plans to choose from. Classic, veggie, family. I say get all three. The veggie ones are actually really good. You can tell that I mean that because it sounded like I went off script, and I actually did go off script. The veggie ones are really good. Uh, each week, there's a 20-minute meal on the classic menu for when you really don't have more time than that. And who has more time than that? I don't. You can rediscover the excitement of cooking or discover it for the first time. I recommend HelloFresh to people who don't usually cook for themselves. 
you can feel confident when cooking HelloFresh with the simple recipes outlined on pictured step-by-step instruction cards. So even if you don't cook, it's very easy to do. Enjoy not having to plan dinner, spending money on takeout for an easy night, or worry about gathering ingredients week after week. You have enough going on in your life. HelloFresh believes cooking should be simple and convenient, not a chore. Now, I don't find cooking a chore, so I reject that (laughs) assumption, but I know that many people do, and no joke, like, look, I'm making light of it, this is an advertisement, but I really do like HelloFresh, and I'm really flattered that they would advertise on this podcast, because I use their stuff, I'm a regular subscriber. Um, Anyway, simple and convenient, all the ingredients come pre-measured, which no joke is the best thing. Like, if I could pay someone to do a mise en place, I would do it. This is even better because I don't have to have someone in my home. It just comes in a box. All the recipes take about 30 minutes, which is like the minimum amount of time for a really great meal. Lots of one-pot recipes, which I'm a big fan of. So speedy cooking, minimal cleanup. There are many benefits of subscribing. So you can keep enjoying HelloFresh week after week. Spend less time meal planning. Spend less time grocery shopping and get that time back to do more of what you love, like watching TV, which is how I am using the time given back to me by HelloFresh. I can watch more baseball. All right. This is a special offer, a unique promo code for a total of $60 off. That's $20 off your first three boxes. Visit HelloFresh.com slash panel 60, P-A-N-E-L and the number six, and the number zero, and use the promo code PANEL60. It's like receiving six meals for free, up to 50% off three boxes. So visit HelloFresh.com slash PANEL60 and use the promo code PANEL60. P-A-N-E-L-6-0. I'm so jealous when you talk about time. It's like the most valuable <laughs> commodity in television because I, I totally get it. I, especially like in cable where your friends who are like, they have been working for three months, you know, we're not shooting for another two months. And like our show got picked up and we, and you have six weeks before you go on the prep yeah. on episode We got picked one. up on the 13th. We had a room, May 13th. We had a room on May 23rd. 20th, yeah. And, and we were, we were filming the... our first episode July 6th. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's like crazy. That, that first week, you're like, this is great. We're talking big <laughs> global blue character sky. and blue Let's sky. Blue sky character and then it's for just three like, hours. We have an outline. Ticking. We have network notes. Yeah. yeah. And, then yeah. and then they're like, where's that story doc for episode two? Yeah. And you're like, uh, oh, yeah, yeah we got to do great. that. But despite having like all of the luxury of having time, that was the most efficient room. Really? I've ever been into the point that people have been like, you're the worst mage with soldier. Like it was a ve- <laughs> it was very like nine to five. There was no YouTube hole. Like right. we like we worked in that room. Totally. And to what we, do you attribute that? I think part of it was that Stephen wanted us to like go out at night and like get <laughs> thrown up story. on in a karaoke bar and like generate <laughs> story. And um, I also just think nobody's nobody's that funny at, at nine o'clock at night. You're just punchy. Yeah. Well, it's the same. You, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in a, a writer's room has a, a very firm expiration date, yeah. and it's like. Four to six hours in there. I mean, it, to me, I feel like the room is, it just, it can make you feel like a story's working when it's not. Right. Hmm. So the sooner you like get something up on the board and you feel like basic shapes are there, I feel like 
have a writer go off and write a story area based on that two or three pages of like a basic shape. I don't mm-hmm. have to know every single mm-hmm. turn and twist, but like I can, we can assess if that story is going to work for us better on the page than on the board. Cause everyone mm-hmm. on the board is like, Ooh, it's this, it's that. And it feels really great. But it's 90% in colors. Of, it looks yeah, so yeah, pretty. You have, so you're great. weaving in, in characters, but then you get into it. And it's like, this doesn't work as a scene. This, this story has to be moved all the way up because it takes you two acts to get to the actual meat of what the story is. And the board doesn't really give you that feedback to, at least with us in in a way that feels like spending hours after hours in the room is worth it. Be wrong. Although I will say on you're the worst, we did everything together up through Mm -hmm. the outline. And then we did even did the outlines together. They were up there because there is something about, well, there were five of us and by the six of us. And by the end of it, I'm not, you know, Steven's, you know, other than Steven, um, but like by the end of it, we were, we always would joke that we were kind of like one brain and we still hang out all the time. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, I'm back in my brain. But there is something comedy wise about yeah, sure, being totally. there and like improvising dialogue Absolutely. and whatever and getting it up there. Do you and have it up on the screen? Like comedy rooms, I know a lot. It, a lot of you know, it, ha- it varies from, from room to room. I'm on a real whiteboard heavy, um, room right now. And I, and I love it. Uh, you're the worst. We were whiteboard. And then once we had rough beats, we would kind of start putting the notes into what those where those beats were and mm-hmm. refining it and refining it and refining it. And then by the time we were done, the outline was done. So no one was going off to write the outline. Yeah. I mean, sometimes would Stephen would be like, go work on beat four and come back. But um, but yeah, it was more of a group process. And but every a, show had, does and, it so different. And you had a clear map when you were going off to write your script. You, right. weren't, you weren't questioning. You weren't in a scene going, what the fuck is this scene? We really right. didn't talk about this scene. You right. know, and that's a hard thing to send off a writer where it's like the one line is Jim Gordon tells <laughs> Bullock not to do this X. And then right. you're like, well, I'll figure out what that is later. Well, you know? yeah. well let's get into that because I'm sure you've all you know, experience this sort of thing where you're sent off on an outline or on a script and you don't have all the information mm-hmm. or you, you, you're not sure how to execute. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Silence. Freak out. Silence <laughs> kinda, has filled the room. I, th- I, I sometimes like it. It depends on how. I agree, actually. To have a little freedom sometimes, like pocket mm-hmm. it, pockets of it throughout the script. There, there's something coming up in my single parents episode that I didn't talk about. And there, it was just like a minor like pop. Like I would never obviously come back to a showrunner and be like, here's a whole new thing. But it was just a night, you know, late night idea. And it's one of the things I'm most excited to shoot. I mean, like 99 mm. percent of it is stuff that we all came up with together in the right. room. And I love all of that. But to have a little bit of freedom is fun sometimes. For sure. Yeah. Um, I you think never I'm, know until you get on the page where right. it's going to go. So it's true. It's like sometimes being overly precise when you're coming off an outline that's so detailed can hamper you because it's like, oh, I want to take it a different way, but it's so specific. Right. Um, but, you know, I think that's just experience. After a long time, you can it becomes easier to like make something out of nothing. Yeah. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. our first year that we were writing on uh, Hawaii Five-0, we would have very detailed outlines on that show. And we, it was a room heavy show. Mm-hmm. Um, and like for us, uh, there are some people who, and I admire it, who are on the board and it looks like an outline on the board. <laughs> like it's like, yeah. you know, open on so-and-so. For me and Steven, usually our thing is like, they learn this and that that's the beat. So like, yeah. we're not, I wouldn't say our strength is board work. Our, our strength is more on the page and finding it right. once we're in the soup of the, of the page and making it into something. But on that show, you would like, 
you had a showrunner who was like wanted was very specific, very precise about what he wanted, and you would get you know approval on your very specific, very precise outline. Sure. And the first episode we turned in, which he really liked, he was disappointed about certain aspects of of the of the fact that we. Either if we did step out and change something, it was always like, why did you change that? Mm. And then we'd explain why. And then if something wasn't working, why didn't you change that? So you were sort of like in a weird, you know, catch 22. And I think for after that, we realized like if we instinctually feel like something isn't working, Mm -hmm. we have to change it because at the end of the day, you're going to have to defend what's on the page to your showrunner. And if you if it's not working and we would instinctually be like, wait, this, this beats not quite right, but it was in the outline. It's what we discussed. We're just going to show it. And you get those showrunners who, when they see it, they want you to make those changes. And I think right. that's what we've told our writers is like, if you get on the outline and you're writing your script and you get into a scene and you're like, this isn't right, mm-hmm. come to us and tell us. And we just had that with one of our writers and she she had a, an instinct to remove a character from a storyline. And as soon as she said it, we were like, you're hundred percent right. Great idea. Remove that. Carry on. That's and great. so I think you have to be open and, and fluid because the story wants to do sure. what the story wants to do at some point. Right. And as a writer, especially if you're me and you're like a homework person and you want like the A and the star and like oh the good God. grade and stuff. I think stuff, we all are that. Like going off, yeah. like going off the outline. It's terrifying. So it's great that as showrunners, you guys have that open right. door. But that isn't always the everyone's experience. Yeah, no, right? it's like, not. I think it's, it's because it's be a risky move. Absolutely. It's because we've come from either really great experiences like with Eric and Julie, where they, mm-hmm. you know, they allowed you to do that or just you get, I don't know, you get more comfortable with the choices you're making. But I think just we have been through so many staffs and so many showrunners. Yeah. We, we don't know what our process was going into it. We still don't a hundred percent know what it looks like, but we knew the type of showrunners we wanted yeah. to be. Yeah. And you, and I think you're always in situations. And this is one of the things I will say that like is a good lesson that we've learned is like a lot of times you've, you've turned in something when you're on staff and a showrunner takes their pass and they rewrite you and then they never talk about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, Oh, why did they make that change? I thought that was working versus we've had showrunners be like, let me walk you through what I did and why I did it. I mean, that was a good version that we put on the page, but here's why we had right. to go this way yeah. and like talk to us about it. So now we're in that position. And if we're re- re- rewriting people, we'll bring them in and be like, that was really good. We got to this point. We felt like we need to do this, but let me talk you through it. So next time this is how, this is what we're thinking and, right. and explain it to them. That's Cause great. I think that's a tool that like is really helpful Absolutely. for a writer is, is show me and help me and put them in a position to succeed versus just like, thanks, I'll take it. I'm not going to talk to you about right. it. Right. And as much as I think new writers are told to, you know, not be precious and to leave their ego at the door and know that they're going to be rewritten. It's a hard thing to understand so that you guys can give them this experience. Absolutely. The one you either wanted or got. Yeah. Uh, and you treat see, them as you wanted to be treated. You totally. see so many lower level writers, you know, over the years who just get just <laughs> destroyed, yeah. essentially. And because they're not being nurtured, they're not being like right. given a second. It's like you get one shot and you're a staff writer. Right. And it's like you're looked at a certain way versus it's like there's a talent there. And it needs to come out. And they like right. they need a second chance. It's impossible to. There's no minor run. league yeah. system. So no, and, so. and and certain shows. I always used to say like certain shows are not teaching hospitals. Sure, you know, and it's hard to find shows that are teaching hospitals because, 
you're in, you know, someone's, some scripts coming in with bullet holes in it and you got to like, you got to figure out a way to <laughs> right. keep that script alive and you don't have time to tell the writer, this is what's going on. Right. And, and, and look, we had to make a choice based off of production with our, one of our episodes where we had to say, look to the writer, we knew, we know we had you slotted here, but we need to take that slot. You will get your slot, but it's just, it's nothing you've done. It's just like, right. we are the fastest way to get it to the studio. I don't have to note myself. I'm gonna right. have to go through you. I'm gonna have to take a pass just because sure. that's what our job is to do. So that was a tough thing. And I felt, felt bad to have to do it. But at the same time, it's like, this is, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to us. And so it is that fine line of, you know, wanting to be nurturing and also understanding that at times you have to make those tough decisions. Of course. I also like being on shows and I've I'm single parents does this. You're the worst at this. When you bring your writer's draft in and you kind of do like the page by page notes, you do it in a group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that way mm -hmm. I'm learning from the writer before yeah. me. Oh, well, you know, that, you know, that's, that's not quite the voice of the show, especially on a first season show when you're sure. trying to figure out yeah. comedically like what the, the the vibe is. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's that's always helpful. Too. Yeah. CSI New York. We did that like we were on the last season of that show and it was the first show that where you didn't have to do outlines there, but your boards had to be super duper precise, which is tough mm. for us because we're not super bored people. So we like brought in the script. And I remember we were pitching our first episode and I was so anxious because I'm the same way at Gold Star. I, everything has to be <laughs> a, a plus or, or, or I'm like the worst human being ever. Um, and we got into an argument in the room <gasps> because no. it's the only time really it's ever happened because I'm like, what? stick to the script. <laughs> Sip to the page, and I saw Pam Vise, who was the showrunner, being like, "Oh boy!" And um, the script turned out great and everything, but that was a version of an episode of, of a show. Like you would go off, you would write your script, and then you'd come back and you would get notes in the room, which is mm -hmm. a terrifying process the first be, time sure. you do that. You're like waiting, and you're just like, and it was thankfully the script went over well, but we saw other writers before us. Like one episode, the showrunner was just like, "Okay, we need to, like." They came in the room and and there was no like here's overalls in the script. They were just like we have to reboard this, and it was like you could see the writer just want to die, and you see wow. that and you're like oh yeah. shit. But I do hear what you're saying. It is an interesting process because we did it on Gotham also. Yeah. The tricky just, part with doing it is it takes so much time. time. Like yeah. and well, it's comedy, doing you got, you got 28 pages no, to go. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, fifty pages. Yeah, twenty eight. There's some jokes. We'll read. We'll redo those jokes. Um, it, it's crazy when you have to like make sense of a psychopath each week. Like in in like is that an the showrunner or the character. Both. No. Um, no, like on Gotham, it's like you're trying to like find the pathos for why you know the penguin is doing something each week, but it has to match the plot and it has to match yeah. what the bad guy's plot is and. Just trying to like find those like story mechanics are so hard. It's Gotham just... also had like eighteen characters that yeah. you're writing right. for. You're you're balancing so many different storylines uh, versus you go on a show and it has like five characters and you're like right. this is incredible. Five characters. I yeah. think single parents might have like twelve or thirteen. Show right? them working on because there's the there's the single parents and there's the kids. Yeah, it's tough. So there's five it's kids. A lot to juggle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm curious to hear about going from this uh, you're the worst room where yeah. you all loved each other yeah. to rooms where these network rooms, which are tend to be a little bigger. They tend to bigger, yeah. have, you know, Much more bigger. experienced or seasoned writers. Um, yeah. 
And also it seems like there's a lot more money and a lot more pressure on mm-hmm. the showrunners. For sure. Um, where it feels like Steven was sort of, after a certain point, let alone to do make his show. Oh, yeah. After a certain point. And that's just, you know, FX's philosophy. Yeah. And, you know, also Steven having a real handle on what we were doing. Absolutely. So so tell me about this transition for you and what you could take from that. You're the worst room and what you sort of had to learn that was new. Right. Well, I hate to be like mommy, 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 because I've already mentioned my baby twice. But I was like (laughs) 900 months pregnant the first time I ever walked into a network room, which was the L.A. to Vegas room. And I lucked out so much because those people were like the nicest group of people ever. And the single parents room. Super nice again. So it's really funny. There's these two um, writers on You're the Worst, Franklin and Shane, Mm -hmm. who would just be like, you're going to go to network and you're going to get eaten alive. Like there's going to be some co-EP who's just going to make you cry every day. Like, because I'm sensitive. But but it never, it never, it never happened. But also you're coming from this place where it was five of you for four seasons. Yeah, I became my best friend in the world as the other female writer on You're the Worst. And we would sit cat a corner from each other like this and I would just stare into her eyes like all day. (laughs) And there'd be times where I'd be like, I feel uncomfortable. And then I'd be like, oh, it's because I'm not with Eva. It was like almost having a writer, like a writing partnership without actually having one. We wrote, you know, I think maybe Mm -hmm. two or three episodes together over the course of the series. Yeah. But um, yeah. But then there's also like this week I've had all my production meetings for my episodes and the amount of budget. Sure. It's so different. And people rushing over being like, hey, like, can you sign off on this crazy thing that we've come up with based <laughs> on a throwaway joke that, you know, you thought of at one o'clock in the morning? You're like, yeah, cool. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> it so blows funny. my mind. I think I looked like a complete psycho because um, I was just beaming in the production meeting, like so thrilled still to just, you know. Have all this fun stuff coming up. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, there are clearly more notes. Like, Mm -hmm. that's, like, part of the game. But even my first few months, people are like, you're sick. I was like, these are network (laughs) notes. Like, I've worked in cable and streaming for so long. And now we have a thing to fix. And it's like a puzzle. And everyone's like, you just kill yourself. (laughs) That's the hardest for (laughs) writers to adjust. Really, at at coming from cable, from network, or or just any level, is, like, Mm -hmm. being able to handle notes. You know, especially if you have a pod attached, you have producers attached, you have a studio who's not tied to the network. So we're, we're right now, our show is Warner Brothers. So we're at CBS with Warner Brothers <laughs> and we have Greg Berlanti. So you're really going three steps along oh the God. way. And a lot of times not we everyone agrees on everything. They disagree a lot, yeah. which is so crazy. It, yeah. it is trying to, it, Alcatraz, that, yeah, that's like a real skill. It was, was yeah. Bad Robot, Warner Brothers and Fox. And we never found a, a, a version of the show that everyone agreed on. Mm-hmm. The good thing about God Friended Me is, thankfully, to this point, everyone agrees on what the show is. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I couldn't say better things about Greg Berlanti and his team of That's producers. Great. They are just, they're the tops. They just get television. They give you the freedom to be the producers you want to be on your show. Um, and ha- and getting a chance to do a second show with Warner Brothers. We love them. And, and CBS has been them is for, great, yeah, actually. Coming off of CBS Gotham has too. been mm-hmm. phenomenal. Yeah, we've, you know, we've had like, that you know, experience. Because there is that, you know sort of cliche that networks just inundate you with notes. But I think, you know, our experience th- this thus far with CBS on God Friend of Me is they're they're giving us the notes that they should be giving us. Nothing that feels <laughs> superfluous or unnecessary. Right. They're they're being, you know, very calculating and smart. And we've 
we let, I mean, look again, it's that people pleaser thing. You, you want to make <laughs> your real. partners happy. You know, you want everyone sure. to like the show and it's hard to, you know, sort of go into a, go into a notes session and not be like so excited and, and then have your heart broken when they don't love one little tiny thing. But you, I think over the years in writing and network, you, you do get a little bit of a thick skin and you have to, and that transition can be difficult. Yeah. I, yeah, it's been fun. I mean, I, I don't love getting notes, but right. it's, you know, so far it's kind well, of, and it's also, like you say, you, you do this love for long enough. Right. Yeah. You become used to it and yeah. you know how to deal with it and it, you know how to have the conversation Absolutely. rather than getting defensive. The um, biggest jump for yeah. me has been what you can put on. Really? <laughs> like yeah. a well, ABC, sure. ABC is, you know, it's a Disney mm -hmm. corporation versus FX. But it's so also like, Liz Merriweather. Yeah, <laughs> of course. It's going to be it's going to be an edgier show. But there are days where like my brain is still like in you're the worst, like a little shadow of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, the, and I'll be like, please. These are, there's kids on this show. We can't do this. It's crazy. <laughs> are you getting that outlet elsewhere? You're, yeah, we're working on other things. Yeah, some other stuff. Okay, yeah. that you can't talk about. No, I can talk about. It. I'm working on a feature right now that's okay. got some stuff in it, and I'm developing. Hopefully, right now we haven't taken it out yet, but I'm um, in the pitch pitch part. That's good. This is the thing I kind of want to talk about with yeah. both of you. Um, that you got everyone on board or on the same page for Godfriended me hmm. had to be part of the pitch of it, right? You must have been very clear in what this show was. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Sure. Um, yeah, no, I mean, look, we've all taken pitches out that are just, you don't sell, they're not right, you think they're great. This is one of those pitches that came together. We felt like we had a clear view on the characters, on the plot, on the mythology, and also a lot of times you joke of like, what, and they want to know what's personal, why is it right. like exciting for you? And most of the time you just make that shit up. <laughs> And we did, we led with, when we, when we pitched it uh, this time around, we led with, look, our show deals with religion and, and different points of view on it. And like in our pitch, and we explained like how the tone of the show we wanted by, we literally started the pitch where Brian was like. I, I said, yeah. you know, you could define how I feel about God in three words, which is Michael fucking Jordan. <laughs> and I talked about being a young Clevelander and seeing him beat the Cavs. On the you know, on a one second shot where I was praying on the timeout, I said, "If there's a God, make sure my calves don't lose." <laughs> and I would say, you know, clearly in that moment, I realized there is no God, or at least He doesn't like people from Cleveland. And then I threw the floor to Stephen, and I was like, at the exact same time, I'm a Mets fan growing up in New Jersey. It's like '86, <laughs> Mets are in a series against the Sox, ground ball to Buckner, and I'm like, please God, make this guy miss it, goes through his legs, and I'm like, there's a God, there's definitely a God. So like, so right he's away, the believer, I'm the non-believer, and we've talked about yeah. it our, our whole lives about that, and we just sort of use that as a way in to say both, like that's the tone of the show, like yeah. the tongue-in-cheek kind of quality of the show that, we, that we're going for, mm -hmm. but also that it's rooted in, you know, what makes us all human, and those experiences that do shape your point of view on faith and, and religion, whether you believe in it or don't, and here we are, two guys who who have different points of view, but it's never affected our relationship. So it was a good way of just getting them to like, I really believe connecting with the people you're pitching on, yeah. pitching to on a personal level very early on in the pitch is key. Um, they hear and, so many pitches all day. 
I swear, it's like sometimes you go into the room and it's like, it's just a conference a table. Room, it's yeah. a boardroom. And they're sitting on their side and you're on this side. It's home and away team. And you're like, fuck, you know? And yeah. then you get into some rooms and it's more of like a living room and it's casual and you feel comfortable and you're much looser. And it's it not has weirdly beachy decor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And it's uh, some nice mints. And it's like, but uh, it, I mean, that affects how you absolutely. pitch to your comfort in that. You know? I, I would say 100%. like, yeah, it definitely helps in, especially in our to have like, you know, a pretty, a nice pitchable high concept. I mean, with Alcatraz, it was the same thing. When we pitched that, yeah. we pitched it to JJ and he was like, that's the best idea I've ever heard. That was like one of the best days of our lives. And as soon as he said that, we knew we had a show. Yeah. You know, when we pitched this show, we started taking it out to the networks. We sold it in the room at NBC and we were like, okay, we're on to something. And then we did the same thing at CBS and ultimately at CW and we had a choice and it was like an amazing, it was like, wow. a, you know, you don't get that experience. And what was that, that one line hook or however long it was for God friended yeah. me? Um, I think it was it was that notion, but it was the idea of like, um, you know, a story about an atheist who's friended by God on Facebook and mm -hmm. sent friend suggestions each week of people he's supposed to help. Meanwhile, in his personal life, his dad is a reverend. So there, he has this huge divide with his father. And I think it, it didn't sound yeah. logliney. I mean, Alcatraz was right. in 1963. It closed. <laughs> Oops, no, it didn't. People disappeared. So it just depends on each pitch. But I think... You know, for our, they're really looking for a concept that they can hook into and yeah. a character that matches the concept correctly. Yeah. And it sounds like, again, you just in the setup for it, you were able to get across tone yeah. as well. Yeah, as it's so important when you're doing a show like that, because yeah. like it, it's, it's sort of everything. It's like if they're laughing and they understand like, you know, the, the tone versus, you know, just like, all right, what's the concept? What's it look like? What's it feel like yeah. 10, 20 episodes in? Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's important for them. Not only tone, but also if they actually see that there's a show there. Mm -hmm. It's not just a great pilot, but right. like, what's the series? Because ultimately, the pilot episode is not a true representation of what yeah. the series is going to look like. We talk about it all the time. God Friend of Me, the pilot, is so premisey. Our main character doesn't even realize what's happening until the yeah. end of the pilot. So the second episode picks up. He has a greater understanding that, like, you're in a television show and here's the premise and you're getting these friend <laughs> right. suggestions. So it's like episode two is a better representation of what the series is going to be versus the pilot. Yeah. Did you pitch out the pilot in the pitch? Yeah. Yeah, did. yeah. we did. And yeah. then sort of talked your way through the, the season. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we like pitched out the big turns of our pilot, which, you know, was this, you know, him being friended, uh, this guy on the street who he stops from committing suicide. Um, and then him then getting a second friend suggestion of who ends up becoming one of our main characters, Violet Bean's character, Kara, and then circling it around to where that guy who he saved actually plays a key part in helping her. So it was about the connections and it, it, um, sounds silly in just that description, but I, <laughs> I, I hope, and I believe it's better than that on the screen, but it, it did, it did sort of give them a sense of the show, but it's hard. I mean, you're coming up with a whole episode yeah. You know, and you don't know. I mean, you just don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's all For sure. theoretical. Um, Allison, this show that you're getting ready to pitch. Yeah. Or that you are pitching. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit, please, about like the work that goes in. This is something we don't often talk about. Like we'll right. talk about the actual pitching, but I think mm -hmm. we don't talk enough about this is a full-time job on top of your job. On top of a to job. To put this thing together. Yeah, on top of a job. Um, yeah, so... I mean, I'm on a deal at 20th 
So part of my job is to bring ideas to them and they kind of see what they're interested in. And so that so there's that process of just pitching shows to them. And then we've narrowed it down to a favorite. And so right now um, I'm going on dates, I've been calling it. I'm like (laughs) um, pilot dating or uh, development dating where I go on dates with people and see if maybe they're going to be a fun, creative fit in terms of like a producer or um, a director, um, sometimes another writer. And then at this point, uh, Fox. No, I know. What's 20th? What do you mean? Oh, like, no. I don't I have no it's idea. Like, we'll what find is that out. Now? Yeah. We'll find out. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find out. It's going to be just, a wild year to again. Back, to backtrack a little bit. So yeah, yeah. being under the deal, you have to bring ideas. Like right. our development is part of it. Yeah. Um, those are more <laughs> casual pitches. Those are just sort of saying, here are three things they're I think. They're like pretty, yeah. They're, you know, at this point, we're all familiar with each other. Right. It's the second year of my deal. So yeah. I can be like, what about this? What about this? What about that? It's like a lunch, you know. Right. Until they've. Until they're like, they like, this is it. And this year we kind of like went around on a couple ideas. And then once everyone's super excited, you know, it's the one. So coming out of this is one of the ideas. Right. And then before you sort of either start dating pods right, or I'm dating. actual pitch, <laughs> um, how much work are you putting in? Are you fleshing out the idea? Are you waiting yeah. for the development process well, for that? You know, it's it's. It's hopefully whoever I'm bringing on is going to have thoughts. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not like to they the better, letter. They're going to they have better. points. Yeah, they're <laughs> going to have points. I'm going to make those people work. No, but sure. like, so I have, I have what I, if I was doing it in a vacuum, mm-hmm. what I believe the pitch of the show would be. Mm-hmm. And then once we're finalized on my development husband or wife. I'd love it to be a wife. Then we could, um, then we, you know, then I'll get their thoughts and we'll take it out. You know, what's funny is, is I don't know with comedy, but this is the, Godfriend was the first time we actually went out with a pitch with a director attached. Oh, really? And I don't know how that's been with you, but like, it was like super, Marco Siega, who's been our creative partner since day one, we pitched him the show before we even went to Berlanti and to Warner Brothers. Uh, Julie Plack had been telling us for years, you guys have to sit down with Marco Siega, you would love him. And finally, we, we sat down with him. Yeah, our agent at CA yeah. was like, he wants to meet with people for development season. So he said, they set a meeting and we started pitching him God friend to me. And he's like, I grew up as an atheist. And like instant, it was like sort of love at first sight between the three of us. We had just such a great alchemy and it, it has stayed that way. He stayed on as a producing director of the pilot of the show. Yeah. He did the but, pilot, he did the and, second and episode. In the, in the pitches, he brought a visual lookbook. So <laughs> as we were talking about things, it was his representation of here's how I see it. Here's what it's going to look like. And it was really helpful to like sell the world and how he wanted to capture it because awesome. it really added a different dimension versus just talk, 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 talk. They could right. actually look. And when we talk about a character and you see pictures or you talk about a look or New York City and how he wants to shoot it. I think that really helped sell the series. It was an advantage. I mean, it was the first time really mm-hmm. walked in with a creative partner as well, a director. And, and these days you're sort of you're wading through all of these reboots and IP. And when you have your own original piece, it's like the more you can stack the deck in yeah. your favor, you know, for writers out there, it's like find find a, a producing partner who has some juice who can help you get to the front of the line, so to speak. I mean, like when you're at Warner Brothers, you're thinking Greg Berlanti, great. We met with Sarah and Ryan and then Greg loved the show. And it's like right there, you know, you're going to be an important piece of development. If the development matches everything, then you're in a great position. And I think a lot of writers think, 
you know, well, does that matter? Do I need all of that? But you do. You need to position yourself in a way you have to really think about it, you know, especially if you're not on a deal because you're coming in like we weren't on a deal, mm-hmm. you know, so we were just coming in. There was no sort of there's no they could have said no in the first meeting. Warner Brothers, go figure out something else. I mean, they had no obligation to like what we had. Yeah. So not saying they have an obligation, like <laughs> yeah. um, but they do. They usually don't. Yeah. They're listening. <laughs> But I think it's important for people to understand, like, you got to strategize and you got to sort of be both writer and producer Mm -hmm. when you're talking about going out and you have to really think about who is the right partner for this idea. Like, do you partner with JJ on God Friend and Me or on Alcatraz? Do you partner with Greg Berlanti on Alcatraz or God Friend and Me? It's very, you know, those shows specifically kind of need the right partner that makes sense to everybody as well. Yeah, and it sounds like you guys did it did it right in that everybody understands what this show is. Yeah, totally. No, um, when good. does it premiere? Uh, September thirtieth, uh, at eight thirty after the NFL. It's going to be eight thirty to nine thirty that night, and then October seventh we go back to our normal 8 hour eight p.m. right after sixty minutes. Awesome, folks should check it out. Uh, what do you want? You want to plug anything? Yeah, single parents, September twenty sixth. Great. I'm super excited. We're after Modern Family. It's going to be good. Yeah. Um, let's wrap up by asking what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your friends, your loved ones? Steven. God, it's been the last <laughs> two months. It's like hard to watch anything. Uh, um, but, you know, I just, you know, watched The Handmaid's Tale and it's terrific. It's season two is definitely even darker, you know, and then you come to work and do Godfriend and you're like, that's a nice relief for sure. <laughs> Um, but that's terrific. I'm excited for Game of Thrones to return, obviously, like everyone else and excited for Veep, which is like one of my favorite mm-hmm. shows to come back. Great. Brian. Yeah. I mean, Game of Thrones is obviously everything. Um, uh, although I will be the first one to say the last two seasons, I feel like not as good. Um, everyone's a critic. Uh, <laughs> I thought that I think the crown is like, the to best. me, the best oh, thing the ever. Terrific. And, um, you know, I wish I would. I wish I could say there's a network show that I'm like super stoked about out there. But back in the day, I mean, just to plug network because every you know network doesn't get enough love. Um, you know, I think like Lost back in the day was a real you know important turning turning mm-hmm. point for me as a writer in network television. I do watch This Is Us though. Oh yeah, This yeah, Is Us. I yeah. watch This Is Us with my wife, and it's like it's definitely like our favorite network show. And I think goes beyond network. I think what Dan Fogelman has managed to tap in. There's a lot of things that we're trying to do, which is get back to just like real emotion. And it's okay, you know, to make people feel something, to cry, to laugh, you know, versus just yeah. being so high concept. And yeah, for sure. Definitely. And I think Network's doing comedy really well right now. And I yeah. think they're taking swings. Good place. Absolutely. So good. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm a good place nerd. Uh, insecure. Best. I've been that. Second episode written by Amy Aniobi, my good friend, was so good this season. Um, And I was really into season two of Glow. Mm -hmm. Super excited they got the pickup for that third season. Um, I rolled over to my husband in bed recently and I like was this far away from his (laughs) face and I screamed, I love shows about women. (laughs) And he... Have you seen Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? No, I haven't watched. Oh my that's god, it's like, amazing. I heard that's so good. It's, it's, so, it's so good. That is, I will say, that is like I it need was to get terrific. On that. I have to plug Rick and Morty too. That is by far and away, I think, my favorite half hour of television that I could possibly watch right now. I just rewatch them over and over at night just to 
get my brain away from <laughs> yeah. God friend of me. I mean, you got to do it. I, I almost never watch comedy like when mm. I'm, I'm like murder all the time me at my house it. when murder, I'm working. But so I'm doing a Happy Endings rewatch right now. And it's really delightful. It is. The thing I loved about Happy Endings. Uh, and we just had a Happy Endings writer in oh, here. Who'd you have? Is, listen. OK. We're cutting that out. OK. Um, <laughs> they just used every joke on that show. Like oh. they're like, what are the six jokes around this? Great. We're using so all of them. The it. pace of it is so good. Thank you all for being here. Thank you Thank for having you. us. Thank you for listening to the Writers Panel. Tune in next Tuesday and every Tuesday for a brand new episode. And in the meantime, please subscribe and review the Writers Panel on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. And follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker, just like it sounds. And let me know who you want to have on the show. The Writers Panel is a co-production of the Forever Dog Podcast Network and the ATX Television Festival. You can listen to more Forever Dog podcasts at foreverdogpodcast.com and keep up with the ATX Fest throughout the year at atxfestival.com. Thank you, and see you next week. Well, you'll hear me next week. Thanks for subscribing. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.